Anyone have a Bible? I hope so. Okay, good deal. Let's go to Matthew. We're going to be all over Matthew today. I've got a whole lot of scripture for you. Um, So my apologies for that, but I'll have it on the board so you don't have to do a whole lot of flipping, hopefully. Uh, And like last week, if you've been paying attention, you know what verse we're on. Verse Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving us the way as he presents. He's basically his first full sermon that we have recorded where he is presenting the way of the Christian. And this is the Beatitudes that we have been walking through, the calling card for the Christian. And we are now on verse 7 where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, the Greek word for merciful, I'm not going to get too heady on you, but the Greek word for merciful literally means merciful person. Blessed is a merciful person. So here, Jesus is not talking about acts of mercy or behaviors that are merciful. He's talking about the person who is merciful at heart. Because can we all agree that anyone can display mercy from time to time? I mean, even the hardest heart can be moved with compassion for the things that he cares about, for the things that are close to him. But but Jesus isn't talking about that guy. He's talking about the person who is merciful in his heart. Even a Nazi, remember the Nazis, they were so callous towards the Jews and so callous about the lives of the Jewish people, but yet they were still warm and compassionate towards their own. Go back even further in history toward the the slave traders who treated black people like they were property and they they stripped them of all human dignity and all, all, all... you know, all rights and, and, uh, and things, and they just treated them with atrocious behavior, yet they were forgiving and compassionate towards their, their own. No one in their right mind would look at a, at a slave trader today and call him a merciful person. There are people who are involved in sex trafficking today who are kind and merciful toward their own families. Yet no one would look at that person and say, oh, what a merciful person. No one would look back on a Nazi who ran the concentration camps and call him a merciful person, no matter how well he treated his family or how much he helped the poor of his community or how much uh, he gave to his church. You know, they went to church, (laughs) their own churches. He wasn't a merciful person, not at heart, even though he did acts of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. It means the merciful person, the one who is merciful, not just someone who does acts of kindness or acts of mercy from time to time. You see, God, he declares himself to be merciful. That's his very nature. That's the nature of God. That's who God is. 
When Israel had made a, a golden calf, do you remember that? After God had brought them out of Egypt and Moses had gone up to the mountain to receive the law from God, God says, I'm going to give you this way that you can live and how you can be in right standing with me. Israel is down here and they're all thinking, well, Moses has been gone for a while. Surely there is no God. We need someone to worship. So we just threw this gold into the fire and out jumped this calf. We need someone to worship. And so God's anger burned hot against them because the Bible puts it in very uh, explicit language and says they have whored against me. Amen. And so he is, his anger is burning against them and Moses goes up before the Lord to intercede for the people and, and he goes up before God and, and as Moses is interceding for them, the Lord passes before Moses and in Exodus 34 Verse 6, he declares before Moses who he is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's God talking about himself. This is the very nature of who he is toward us. Now, this is God speaking to Moses after the Israelites had just committed such a grievous wrong against him after they had cheated on him with a false god. I am the Lord, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. The prophets proclaimed it throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is merciful and gracious. The psalmist sang psalms about it. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Isaiah wrote and tells us that the Lord waits. He he waits to be gracious to us and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to us. Think about that language. The Lord exalts himself to show us mercy. He lifts himself up. He makes himself known to show mercy. Making himself known, making himself prominent, making his name great is merciful. This is who God is. He is merciful as a matter of being. It is Part of who he is. It is his attribute. That's who God is. So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the ones who are merciful. That's part of who you are. The merciful person. Blessed are those who look like their father. Can we, can we, is that okay for me to say that? We've been... Taken through the gate, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have recognized our sin and our need for a savior. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have been given new life and a new heart, the very heart of God as a matter of fact, and and a new inheritance. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's told us how to follow after him, how to seek his heart and obtain this inheritance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And here he gives us a picture of our Father that is mirrored in the Son, that is to be projected among many sons and daughters. So how do we get there? How do we become a merciful 
person. That is part of who we are. We have to come to the realization that Jesus is our source. He is our great source. Jesus is perfectly able to give perfect mercy. We must realize that. So here in Matthew, Jesus uses a Greek word that literally translated means merciful person. We've just just discussed that, and he's using it to describe the person who will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, the, the merciful person, for they shall receive mercy. And there is only one other place in the whole entire New Testament where that Greek word is used. The merciful person. Now, that's not significant by itself. The Bible wasn't written to be a code. God doesn't write it as a codex for us to try to unlock it by playing word games and matching things up like that. But there's oftentimes significance to be found because of how these words relate, how they're used, and why they're used the way they're used. So it's not insignificant that the only other time this word is used is in Hebrews chapter 2, and it's used to describe Jesus, who is the one who said it in the first place. Hebrews 2.17, let's just read it and see what it says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, talking about Jesus, so that he might become a merciful, there's that word, merciful person, and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This therefore statement in Hebrews comes as the concluding concluding argument that Jesus is the source of salvation. So the preacher in Hebrews is making this argument that Jesus is the source of salvation. This is his concluding statement. He had to be made like his brothers. Jesus is the source of salvation, so he is the God-man, the intercessor, the one who stands between uh, uh, God and man. He stands in between and places his, his right hand on God's, uh, his, his left hand on God's shoulder and his right hand on my shoulder so that there can be reconciliation and unity between us. In order to do this, he had to become like us. That's what Hebrews 2.17 said. He had to condescend to us. He had to be made like his brothers, that's you and me, so that he might become a merciful, there's that word, and, and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins. That means to provide for the goodwill between us and God, to stand as reconciliation between us. So, Jesus became the merciful person who is also a high priest in the service of God. In order to do that, he had to become like us in every respect, which means he had to suffer the way that we suffer. He had to go through the things that that we go through. This is not so that Jesus would know how to show mercy. He is God. Mercy is who he is. He knows what it is to suffer. This is so that we can know. I mean, so that we can really know, so that we can trust, so that, so that we can understand and we, can, we don't have to have any doubts. We can see him and say, this guy knows what it means. 
to be where I've been. He has stood in my shoes. He's not some high and lofty. He's not so high and lofty that he hasn't been where I've been. He condescended to walk where I've walked. He can feel what I have felt. We can know that his mercy is perfect toward us because he's been where we have. He has stood where I stand. He suffered in every way as we do. He knows what it means to need mercy. And yes, if you read your Bibles, and I mean if you really read your Bibles, you'll see that he took upon himself the punishment of, a, of us all. He took upon himself the transgression of us all, the sins of the world. So I'm not just talking about the pain that he suffered. I'm not just talking about this crucifixion that he suffered. I'm not just talking about him being a man that had no place to lay his head. I'm not just talking about him being poor. I'm not just talking about the physical suffering that he endured. The Bible says that when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it meant to need mercy. He was punished for our transgressions. Punished for our sin. He knew what it meant to be separated from God. Though he himself was God. Jesus knows what it means to need mercy in every respect of needing mercy. Do you, do you see that? Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He is perfectly capable, capable to give mercy. And because of that, we can be confident in the mercy that he gives. The very next verse in Hebrews chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I love that. One of my favorite texts in all of the, the scriptures. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace Amen. in time of need. People are afraid to ask for forgiveness because they think they can't get it. They're afraid to ask for mercy because they think whatever it is that Amen. they are is too far. They're too far gone. How could anyone love this? Let us go with confidence to him. Jesus knows what it needs, what it means to need mercy. Amen. He can sympathize yes. and empathize. Yes with everything that you have gone through. So while you sit there and you doubt, is God even real? He can sympathize and empathize with everything you've even gone through. While you sit there and you doubt, is my sin too wicked? He can sympathize and empathize with everything you've even gone through. Amen. He took it all upon himself, the sins of the world. So every doubt, every sin, all of it, 
He took the punishment for it all, for all of it, upon himself. And he bore it. Though he himself was not guilty. Isn't that crazy? He is perfectly able to give perfect mercy. And we can have every confidence in his mercy. He is our source. He is also our great example. We must look to Christ for that example. We go back to our anchor verse in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Second half of that, they shall receive mercy. Those, there are five accounts in the Gospels where we see people asking to receive mercy using the same language that Jesus uses here, or that he uses in the Sermon on the Mount. They cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And they're asking to receive mercy. That is a, a state of being that is, that is depicted there. It's a state of being. There's actually three words that are used in English to translate one Greek word, to receive mercy. Um, but it's a state of being, of the receiving mercy. So if we look in the Gospels, they're, they're, they're displayed all over the Gospels. We're just going to go through the accounts in Matthew. They're asking to receive mercy. There's one standalone account in Luke. We go to Matthew 9, 27. I'm going to read through them pretty quickly. You don't have to. We'll have them up here. 9, 27. We see the two blind men following Jesus. They cry aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. According to your faith, be it done to you. There's two things immediately that I want you to see. Number one, people who needed mercy cried out for mercy. Amen. They, they asked Jesus for help. And number two, Jesus helped them. It's that simple. That's mercy. When others need help, Jesus helped. Amen. Okay? On to Matthew 15 and the Syrophoenician woman. You'll recognize this one, but it's a bit more complicated because it, it, it almost shows some resistance on Jesus' part. But if we hold to the serious joy of the truth that God does what he does for his glory and for our ultimate good, then we know that his delay was meant only to strengthen her resolve. Matthew 15, 22, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now there are, boy, we could unpack that all day. There are several things I want you to notice immediately here, though. Uh, for our purposes, number one, she cried out for help. Number two, what did Jesus ultimately do? He helped her. Amen. 
Three, Jesus helped her even though it was inconvenient. Four, Jesus helped her even though it was not part of his mission. It was not part of his goal. It wasn't part of his project plan. It wasn't part of his daily plan. It wasn't in his calendar to do it. Everyone around him told him to forget about it, yet he still helped her. Five, he helped her even though it meant giving resources originally designated elsewhere. It is not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. God is an endless supply. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Why don't we just focus on doing the right thing and let God handle the rest? Mercy does these things. Mercy looks past the inconveniences. Mercy looks past the... You know, the, the, the parameters that we've set for our mission. Mercy looks past the, the everyone else in the crowd that says, oh, just forget about it. Mercy looks past that. Mercy looks past the limitations that we've set on our own budgets. Mercy looks past the limitations that we've set on the, the designations for our budgets. Mercy doesn't care about designated funds. Amen. Amen. Matthew 17, the man whose son had seizures. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, this is Jesus had just come down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. That was a, uh, an awesome experience from him, uh, for him. I don't know if any of you have ever had one of those mountaintop experiences where you've been to the mountaintop uh, conference or just uh, whatever, and you come down. Those are kind of, they tend to be exhausting. Amen. They're glorious, but exhausting. So he's come down off the mountain, and he comes to the crowd. A man comes to him, kneeling before him, and says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has had seizures, and he suffers terribly. For he often falls into the fire, and he falls often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. First thing I want you to notice, the father asked for help. Amen. Amen. Number two, Jesus helped him. Even though he was tired, even though he was disappointed with them, probably even a little annoyed at them. But we don't like to talk about Jesus being annoyed, but I, I think he was probably annoyed here. Mercy works through fatigue. Mercy works through personal disappointment. How many times have we withheld help from someone because we thought they would just let us down in the long run? It's not worth our time because they're not going to live up to the help I'm going to give them. That's not merciful. Did you know that? Mercy works through that. Matthew chapter 20, the story of blind Bartimaeus and his friend. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. The book of Luke says it's the gate called Beautiful. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Number one, they cried out for help. Number two, 
Jesus helped them. Three, when others wouldn't. Four, when others didn't think it was proper, convenient, or politically correct. Mercy helps when others don't want to, when it doesn't look cool. Mercy helps when the crowds call you names for doing it. When you extend that hand of friendship to the person that everyone else laughs at and scoffs at. When you are the one kind voice, the one friendly face in their whole day. It may cost you popularity points to befriend the friendless, but that's what mercy does. And when you don't do it, that's not mercy. There's one other thing that I want you to see in these four examples before we go to the last one. Every one of them called out in faith. You can see it in, in displayed in the words that they used in their cry for help. They said, Lord, have mercy on me. They said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those are messianic terms. Already in the statement, they have acknowledged that Jesus is the one. He is the son of David. He is the Lord. He is the Christ, the son of God. He is the one, the one that can help. It's right there in their cry for help. Can I just tell you, church, that the people who are coming to you have already displayed trust in you. They have already put trust. These people already put great trust in Jesus just in the asking. The people who come to you for help have already put great trust in you just in the asking. They have trusted you with their dignity and with their provision. Mercy responds to trust. I have seen people begging on the street. And it pricks me in my heart because I think, how? What would it take for me to get there from a dignity standpoint? How much, how desperate would I have to be to come to someone begging from a dignity standpoint? They have trusted you with their Dignity already. And mercy says, okay. Okay. That's why Jesus says, give to everyone who comes to you begging. It's the dignifying thing to do. And when you say, dude, I'm not going to help you, you have just robbed them of their dignity. We'll get there. The last one, the final example is in Luke 17. It's only found in Luke. It's the ten lepers. Luke 17, verse 12. As he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers, one who stood at a distance and lifted up, excuse me, ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This isn't a messianic call. Master is just teacher. 
But they saw Jesus as the one who could help. So they cried out to him, Jesus, have, Master, have mercy on us. When they saw him, they said, or when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, you, you know the rest of the story. One of them was so overwhelmed at the healing that had happened, so overwhelmed at what Jesus has done for them, that along the way, he turned back and came to Jesus, fell at his feet, worshiped God, and said, thank you. He said, thank you to Jesus. And Jesus said, I see that one has come back, but were, were there not 10 that were healed? Where are the nine? And we always preach this text and we always come to it from this perspective. We always, don't be like the nine. Be like the one. Come back and say, thank you, Jesus. That's wonderful. That's great. Fantastic. We should always look to be like the one. Don't be like the nine. I don't want to take away from that. That is a perfect way to preach that text. But let's look at Jesus just for a minute. Let's get our eyes on the prize here. Let's press toward the high calling of the the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. Let's look at him just for a minute. Ten men in great need called out to Jesus for help. He helped them all. Only one came back to say thank you. So what do we take from that? Mercy helps when people aren't always grateful. Or let me put it this way. Mercy helps because of great need, not because of grateful people. You might write that one down. That's tweetable. Mercy helps because of great need, not because of great people, grateful people. It works through ingratitude. And how many times have we turned it away? They won't be grateful. Or we've done it, we've shown mercy. And they've not been thankful. And then we're reluctant to do it again. Let me try to put that all together. We tend to think of mercy in the Christian context in terms of forgiveness. Christ died for our sins and therefore we have been shown mercy in that I have been forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. They've been washed away because of what Christ did on the cross. I will not face judgment in the final day. Heaven is my home. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I cannot praise him enough for that. That is a wonderful thing. And that's absolutely correct. Mercy is forgiveness. We cannot and we should not uncouple those. But mercy is not just forgiveness. We have just seen here when we have walked through when Jesus was called on for mercy, how he met people's physical needs. Every single time in the New Testament when someone said, Lord, have mercy on me, it was a physical need. So we can't just tie mercy down to forgiveness. It's bigger than that. It's huge. But that doesn't cover enough of our lives. Not, not in walking out the Christian walk, okay? Not in walking this out. Mercy covers us for eternity. We have to learn forgiveness because if we don't learn forgiveness, we won't be forgiven. We're going to get there. I've got just a few minutes to do it. But we have to be compassionate as well. Amen. That's bundled up in blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Mercy then is compassion, 
It's both forgiveness and it is acts of kindness, generosity, and sacrifice for others to help others. As we've seen, Jesus has given freely and abundantly in this. And listen, I, I'm, I'm so constrained by time. I got very technical in my analysis of this text because I just limited it to the specific examples that were specifically tied to this text. I could have taken a much broader, much more thematic approach, and we could have gone all over the life of Jesus to show how he was moved with compassion, freely, abundantly. We could have talked about just the crucifixion alone. We could have talked about forgiveness alone and tied all that just to mercy and how we need to forgive our brother. If you don't, if you have ought against your brother, you can't even come to worship. We could have talked about that. I could have spent the whole time on that. But forgiveness, we all got, well, I should think we all got that. This is a God who is merciful and gracious and gracious. There is no end to his compassion. And that is all tied up. So forgiveness, kindness. If you go to the Old Testament, that word, the word that is is, translated as mercy is rendered as kindness, compassion, uh, graciousness. It's rendered all kinds of ways goodwill, it it means all these loving acts, steadfast love. It's all these loving acts. So it's not just forgiveness. That is huge. We cannot do it without that. It's huge. But it's all this, it's all this, all this other as well. It's an encompassing thing. And here is the, here's the catch. There's a commandment concealed in the blessing. Notice that it is only the merciful, the merciful person who receives mercy. Amen. Just a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he follows that up in verse 14 with a further explanation. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's an if-then statement. If you forgive, if you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. If you show mercy, then mercy will be shown to you. James puts it this way in chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, if you show mercy, then you have no need to fear judgment because mercy is triumphant over judgment. But if you don't show mercy, then you will not receive mercy. Wow. And how often are we guilty of not showing mercy in Understand when I say mercy, I'm talking mercy and compassion, forgiveness and compassion. Do we hold grudges? There's a parable that Jesus tells to this effect in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'm going to read it. I've just got a few minutes. I've got to hurry. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And boy, that was a lot of times, according to Peter. He was bragging. Should I forgive seven times? 
And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That was a big number. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in today's money, we may as well say that's a trillion dollars. Imagine owing someone a trillion dollars. That's government money. That's an insurmountable debt. You owe someone a trillion dollars. Verse 25, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So you're going to be put in prison and payment to be made and everything that you have is going to be sold against that debt. Would it even make a dent? So you and your children are going to work in prison at minimum wage for the rest of your life, and everything you have is going to be sold. Would it even make a dent in your trillion-dollar debt? No. Verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay everything. Yeah, right. And out of pity for him, there's that word, that's also rendered as mercy elsewhere, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the, time, when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants and owed him a hundred denarii. Today's terms, 20 bucks. And seizing him, he began choking him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will, I will pay you. Same plea. But he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, the trillion dollars that you owed me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And this is the scary verse. This is the verse that should perk up all your ears and make you think, my Lord, make me a merciful person. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. Let's try to bring all this together in the very few minutes I have left. We go back to the beginning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Christ is our source and our example. He perfectly forgives and perfectly provides. He is compassionate, even when it isn't convenient or popular, even when it is thankless. If we are not like Him in this, we will lose the very thing that we hope for. We'll lose mercy. That which we hope for. Amen. Amen. This is the only beatitude where the reward is the blessing. We are rewarded with what we are blessed for being. And yet isn't this mercy, forgiveness and compassion, isn't this some of the most difficult things for us? We always seem to be so quick to judge, so quick to condemn, slow to help, we can make excuses out of anything, can't we? We can turn them into real, legitimate reasons for why we can't lift a finger for someone else's need. We can justify our anger and our unwillingness 
to forgive so easily. They had it coming. They deserve it. They treated me so poorly. Can't we? Don't we? What they did was so low. And yet all the while, when we do that, we are, we're closing the doors on our own mercy. Do you see that? We're closing the door. We don't realize it, but we're shutting God out when we fail to be merciful. So my, my prayer for you, my prayer for this church, my prayer for myself, for all of us, is that he would make us like him, more and more like him, reflections of his mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for your mercy. It is perfect. And I pray, Lord, that we would look to you as our example and our source. Lord, strengthen us to be merciful. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't feel like showing it, especially when we have been wronged. Father, I pray for grace for all of us that we may not miss that gift, that precious gift. Send us out of here, Lord, refreshed and renewed. Prepare us for the week ahead. Keep us safe. Bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.